0: Welcome to Dads with Daughters. In this show, we spotlight dads, resources, and more to help you be the best dad you can be.
1: Welcome back to the Dads with Daughters podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Christopher Lewis. Really excited to be able to talk with all of you again today about what we can do as dads to be able to be active participants in our daughters' lives, allowing us to help to raise them to be strong, independent women. As always, I try to bring guests that are going to make you think in a little bit different way, but also allow for you to be able to to see things in a different way so that you can be a better father. And today we've got a great guest, Dr. Jordan Shapiro is with us. And if you've never heard of, of Dr. Shapiro, you're going to get to know him today. He's a globally celebrated American thought leader. He's a senior fellow for the Joan Gantz Cooney Center at Sesame Workshop and a non-resident fellow in the Center for Universal Education at the Brookings Institution. Today, we're going to be talking to him about feminism. And now don't tune out because we're going to be talking about this. And for some people I know, being a feminist dad or feminism may bring up some things inside you. And that's okay. But we're going to be talking about a brand new book that he's got coming out here in May called Father Figure, How to Be a Feminist Dad. And we're going to be uh, talking about a, a number of other things, but we always start our interviews with getting to know Jordan, even more so as a father. So Jordan, thanks so much for being here.
0: Oh, thanks for having me. I am super excited. This is going to be a great conversation.
1: I am always excited to be able to talk to fellow dads and be able to get to know them a little bit better personally, but also getting to know and bring some great resources to our dads that are listening today too. So first and foremost, I I love starting this because you're a father of four. You said you have two biological children, two stepchildren, and you have one daughter and three sons. And this is the Dads with Daughters podcast. So I, I definitely have to ask you some questions about being a dad to a daughter. So first and foremost, as you think back to finding out that you were going to be a dad to a daughter, that first reaction what was going through your head? Talk to me about that experience.
0: I wish I could have a better answer for you that I'm going to have for this one because actually my partner Amanda and I were together for almost a decade before we decided to live together. So it sort of happened very incrementally in the sense that I was already sort of the stepdad to the to this daughter before I even knew it, right? So I never got it in the moment. of sort of like, yeah, I, I love you, Amanda. I'm going to do things with you. We had been on lots of vacations as a mixed family before we lived together and became sort of a singular family unit. So I don't know that, that I really thought about it, but I can say that once we moved in together, I think there have been opportunities that I never really imagined I would have because I didn't really ever think of myself as the father of a daughter. And and even once we moved in, I was just like, oh, yeah, well, this is just these kids I know so well moving in. And, you know, having to approach moments and celebrate moments like a first menstruation, things like that, I never imagined. And I I'm kind of excited. Like There's a lot of fun stuff to learn and deal with and discuss. And it, it hit me by surprise. So
1: <laughs> So talk to me about the fact that I mean, your daughter is your stepdaughter. So she came into your life, as you said, at a later point. And so you have her with you at certain points during, as you told me before this, you have her living with you at certain points. And then she's with her other family at a certain points too. Being a father t- as a stepfather, and then you have biological children as well. Talk to me about that unique relationship and how you had to build that relationship with your stepchildren in that way.
0: I'm not sure that there's a unique answer to this that goes, I mean, there is absolutely a unique answer that goes with my stepdaughter, but I'm not sure it has anything to do with gender or sex. I think all of the kids have very unique needs and thinking about them. You know, one of the things I was really attentive to and have been since since we all became a family was really thinking about the uniqueness of each individual, right? You don't want to just assume that I have one who's 15 and just because I think I've done a pretty good job parenting the 15 that you can do the same things and it's going to reproduce with 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 the younger ones. And so I I, you know, I, I think about all of those things. I think one of the things I'm really careful with, and I think a lot of fathers struggle with is while doing that sort of picking out each child individually to not make Assumptions based on gender or sex about what's going to be different, right? So, in some ways, you know, the traditional argument you, know, you might hear all the time: people be like, "Oh, well, girls are more emotional." Well, that's certainly not true of this one. There's definitely another kid who's <laughs> one of the boys who would much more have those stereotypically feminine reactions than she would. And I think it's very important, and has been for me, to keep that out of. Out of my thinking, um, as much as I can, unless it is actually relevant to the topic at hand, like menstruation. <laughs>
1: Every father, I think, when they become a father, has fears. They they have fears because of the unknown, of not knowing what it's going to be like. And being a father to a daughter brings different or similar fears in in that same vein. What would you say is your biggest fear in raising a daughter? in today's society.
0: One of the reasons I wrote the book, Father Figure, is I think especially in the U.S., we are still a very patriarchal and very misogynistic society. We have a lot of clandestine examples of sexism that that are sort of well hidden, not to mention tons that aren't hidden at all. And I guess what scares me the most is you so often see people who are shaped by these cultural expectations, shaped by narratives and tropes that just limit their potential and limit their aspirations uh, because they come to believe them about, them about themselves. And so that, I think, is what scares me the most, is I think I watch so much, you know, when I'm binging something on Netflix, when I'm watching a talk show, when I'm watching a movie, I see so many things that are sort of setting up problematic expectations. I mean, for boys and for girls, certainly for gender nonconforming individuals, really really problematic messaging. And so I think that it scares that they may internalize these things and start to believe a lot of what they see. And it's hard because I think a lot of adults, we sort of have a nostalgic love of some of those tropes. Lately, I've been rewatching The O.C., which I remembered watching when I was like, I don't know, maybe I was 18 or 19 when it came out. I don't remember, but like there's so many problematic things in it. And I don't you know, I'm not watching it with my kids because I want to just kind of get lost in the nostalgic good feelings. And if I watch it with my kids, I have to be like, that's misogyny. That's not OK. That's problematic. Um, and so I, every time they come down when I'm watching, I put it on pause because I, I don't want to ha- you know, I just want to kind of get lost in the nostalgic feelings. And I think that's hard because we it, we're all sort of stuck between the feelings of things that went well with our childhood and things we wanted and things we want to change for the future. And sort of how do you navigate those two expectations?
1: you know navigating those i think is definitely not easy it's definitely something that you have to work toward you're probably going to fail on and you're going to have to continue to try to be willing to understand that as individuals we are all flawed in that regard now you started talking about your new book and and i definitely want to talk about that because it, you do have a new book coming out in may called father figure how to be a feminist dad and i think inside this book, and I haven't had a chance to read the book yet. So I'm, I'm going to disown that right now because it's not on the market yet, but I definitely want to read the book. But one of the things that I think that I want to first, before we delve even deeper into this book, can you start with a definition? When you talk about a feminist ad and feminism in general, give me a, a definition that you would give to any any father out there, if they're saying, well, what does it mean to be a feminist dad?
0: Yeah, sure. I mean, the first thing is uh, you probably want to start with the definition of feminism, which is probably the simplest definition I can do is just a sort of commitment to end gender-based oppression or exploitation or injustice. That's sort of the basic definition. And I like it because it's not, you know, it doesn't alienate men, right? This is not about men versus women, right? And it also has space for us to acknowledge that sexist patriarchal conventions are just as bad for men as they are for women. I mean, certainly feminism starts with a fierce criticism of male entitlement, male privilege, homophobia, sexism. But after that, I think it gets to a much larger question, which is recognizing the way that sexist structures shape our lives in problematic ways. And of course, this is true for Men and for women. You know, a lot of men, they don't like the word feminism. I, I joke, and I call it the F word in Father Figure because I, I like to point out that, like you say, it, you know, because it's so crazy. You'll ask men, you know, do you believe in gender equality? Most of them will say yes. You'll ask them, are they a feminist? They'll be like, oh no, that's too strong. And it basically means the same thing. That's sort of my definition of feminist, I think, is all I've said.
1: You know, I think that you're right there because I think that as we think about the, the F word, and I'm, you know, I'm pu- putting my fingers up right now. And you know, putting those quotes up there, the F-word. Some dads, some men get very concerned about that word. And it kind of shuts them down when they. Hear it.
0: I think that's right. And I think one of the things that's important to point out is that there's been a pretty strong, you know, I don't want to be a conspiracy theorist here, but a lot of effort made by those who were afraid of the feminist movement from the beginning to create this notion that it was uh, super extreme. I mean, some of that was done by super extreme feminists. But the idea that we would use words like feminazi, the whole idea that, that all feminists are man haters. I mean, there was a pretty intentional cal- calculated propaganda campaign that was created in order to fight against women's rights.
1: So is that campaign still active. Is that something that you're still seeing as you're watching and you're looking at media today?
0: I don't know that there's a control center anywhere. So I don't know if I would say the campaign is active. I mean, I'm sure there are some think tanks thinking about how to fight against it. But, you know, I don't think this is a big Russian conspiracy (laughs) to create a social media thing right now. But but I do think, you know, it's certainly still very strong. There's still a lot of men just don't want to use it. I mean, I teach at Temple University, the undergrad and even when I, you know, I even see a lot of women students who don't want to use the word feminism. They think it's it's associated with something extreme, something radical, something something man-hating. Uh, you know, they think it's unfeminine um, in so many ways. And again, it's just a label. So it kind of means whatever it means to you on some levels. So people shouldn't be afraid of it. I, I think people should be loudly celebrating that, that especially men should should not be afraid to say, hey, I'm a feminist.
1: You talked to me- About the definition of what feminism means. So, in your book, you talk about being a feminist dad what does that mean to you?
0: It's a kind of complicated thing, obviously, because I had to write a whole book about it. Um, <laughs> but for me, and the way I lay it out in the book is that being a feminist dad really requires four different elements. Um, and um, I guess I'll tell you what the four elements are, and then I'll explain them all. And that's probably the best way to do it. The first one is a willingness to cultivate what I call critical consciousness. And I'll explain that in a second. Second is practicing responsive fathering rather than authoritative fathering. And again, I'll talk a bit about that one. The other one is a commitment to getting rid of what I call locker room gender essentialism. And the final one is is radical inclusivity. So let me go through and explain them for you. Is that cool? Sounds great. So critical consciousness, which is a term I took from the very, very famous Brazilian educator Paulo Freire. And what it means is a willingness to really look at your situation. So you and I were talking about this earlier, right? That we are all sort of engaged in scripts that shape the way we think about who we are and the situations we're in and what we can do and what the possibilities and opportunities are, what's okay to aspire to, what's okay to do. And often we're sort of stuck in those things and not willing to to really critically interrogate what reality those stories are creating. And so the first thing a feminist dad needs to do is to be willing to interrogate the reality of what it means to be a father, like every single thing about it, and recognize that these are all culturally constructed categories. And therefore, we should consider each one with an open mind and and decide what we want to maintain and what we want to throw out and that we are always allowed to do that as humans with our human categories. And that critical consciousness needs to be directed both at us as men and as fathers, but also we need to teach that to our children so that they grow up willing to question the sort of taken-for-granted-isms, right, that are problematic. That's number one. Number two is responsive fathering. In the book, I I sort of uh, contrast responsive fathering with something I call narcissistic patriarchal authority. And this is this idea that we're the center of the story, right? So much of what we get in the media tells us the man is the center of the story, the man is the hero, and everyone else is sort of a supplemental character in your man journey and fathers need to really get out of that and see themselves not as the authority the author of the story but rather as someone responding to other people's story you know recognize that as much as that you're a hero in your own journey your daughter your son your wife is is also the hero in their own story and that means you might be the villain or the mentor or maybe you're just the comedic sidekick I don't know what you are but you play different roles at different times and being aware of that one way this really shows up I think in a lot of men's lives is especially Especially while working at home during the pandemic, we might be working all day and our kids come in to ask us something and we see it as an interruption. We're like, wait, you're interrupting my narrative. You're interrupting my story. I was going, I had it going good. I had good rhythm where like for them, they're like, wait, you're calling it an interruption, interrupted my narrative. Right? So it's about this sort of recognizing that we're always in colliding myths with everyone else and need to respond to their stories, not be the author of our own. Number three is this what, what really important, me, the, the, the commitment to stopping locker room gender essentialism. I use the term locker room gender essentialism because this is the idea that there are rules about or just innate qualities like boys are one way, girls are another way. And I call it locker room because it reminds me of the nonsense I learned in middle school while in the boys locker room, right? They'd be like, "All girls like this kind of sex. You know, I didn't even realize half these things were wrong until I was middle age because they got so embedded as these sort of facts of the sexes, right? But we have a ton of them, right? And we have a ton of them that we don't... Don't even think about a lot of them that we've reproduced unconsciously. So if you really just think about who does what things in your family, right? Who does the laundry, who does the cooking? Do you have those things in place because it's no big deal if your wife does the laundry or the cooking, but is it there because she's actually better at it? Or is it there because that was just the default? And if you're doing it because that's the default, then you're not really challenging anything. Your kids are witnessing that. They're starting to think it's normal. So to me, this idea that you will constantly question the roles in your family and who does what. The last one, and this one's the one that's most important to me, actually. I mean, they're all important to me, but this one's, it's radical inclusivity, right? We need to take this beyond just a consideration of feminism goes way beyond just a consideration of cisgender men, cisgender women. This we need to be, uh, we need we need to be completely inclusive and into trans folk and to gay people and queer people and all different races, all different ethnicities. There needs to be this acknowledgement that everyone deserves a life full of dignity, and that doesn't mean you have to agree or like how they live their lives, but you, they have their right to live the same life of dignity as you, and you need to cultivate that in everything you do and demonstrate that to your kids all the time. And so those are the four things that I've decided constitute being a feminist dad.
1: I love those. I think that they definitely are practical. They make sense. Now, for someone that is listening to this, that that hear these four different things that that you, that you use to define what a feminist dad is, are there some specific things that any father could do to start moving in the direction of being able to Support feminism and to be a feminist dad, even if it's for just their daughters? The
0: first thing I want to push back at you a second is that it needs to be feminism beyond just their daughters, right? Most men love their daughters and want their their daughters to be successful, and yet they can still be misogynist jerks in every other part of their life because it doesn't me- have anything to do with them being women or daughters. It's just that they like their own kin and they respect their own kin. But we need to respect women as category because unless you're doing both, you're simultaneously sending a message to your own daughter that although you accept her, you don't think any Anyone else who's like her is okay, right? <laughs> and that's, and that's super problematic. So absolutely. But if you want to think about interaction with your daughter, I mean, we could just go immediately to the responsive fathering category. And again, I should say, I say these four things, they're not easy. They're not, uh, you have to do them all the time. I fail all the time. I'm not considering myself to be like super feminist dad. I'm constantly trying to make them work. And I'm constantly going to sleep going, oh, crap, you totally did that one wrong. But what you might do if you have, if you have a daughter, right? And in thinking about response of fathering is go, how do I talk to her the way I would talk to a colleague? We often want to like get very paternalistic with our children. We often sort of treat them as if we don't really trust them. We don't really believe in their in their arguments. I would say get in arguments at the dinner table and argue the way you'd argue with a colleague, right? Uh, uh, you know, we have crazy arguments at my dinner table. Just last night, uh, the whole family was arguing over whether or, not, whether or not we thought Elon Musk was evil, right? None of us actually care, right? But th- it's sort of the this level of debate that shows respect to multiple perspectives and gives everyone a chance to talk about it. So, so that's really important with daughters, right? Because uh, again, so much of the information that they're getting on television, in the movies, on the internet is that they should be interrupted by mansplainers, right? <laughs> because that's what they see happening all the time. And so, so we need to show them a very different image at home.
1: I appreciate you You're calling me out on that, but also to make everyone think about, where am I at? Where are you at? And be able to think about that, about the things that we say, the things that we do, the things that we don't say or don't do, to be able to support the women in our lives, the women in our workplaces, the women around us and beyond, to allow for them to be the best versions of themselves.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: And to be able to to find success. Just like we would want other men to find success, you know, because if we all find success, we're going to all be able to lift each other up. And I think that everything that you've said there reinforces that and definitely is something that is going to only help society in general for us to be able to move forward as a collective. So, I guess one thing I would ask now is really this. I mean, for someone that is hearing this and is saying to themselves, well, I've never really thought of myself as a feminist dad. I do have daughters and I I want to take that next step. And maybe it's reading your book. But are there other things that they can do in the meantime while they're waiting for your book to come out? to be able to start that journey for themselves.
0: And I would even say you don't need to be in that in, in that place of going, "Hey, I want to be a feminist dad." I get to like I think you need to embody that as a as something you are, but I'm not asking anyone to take on any kind of labels. I don't think a feminist dad is an identity you necessarily take. It's a series of tools you use to do better things. And so, you know, again, one of the first tools I would say then that I think you could start immediately is sort of really think about when you you're participating in locker room gender essentialism right when when are you making assumptions based on gender or or sex about what's normal or about how someone is right so we talked about this uh, earlier you know th- this idea that that you'll hear from a lot of dads like oh my daughter gets so emotional so i have to be careful how i give her give her criticism you know you might need to be careful how you give her criticism because of of her unique constitution but it has nothing to do with the fact that 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 she's that she's a girl so Constantly be asking yourself, when am I making those kind of assumptions? Also, ask yourself, when are we reproducing gender roles in our household for kids to witness? Because kids are witnessing everything and making decisions about how they think the world works based on what you're doing at home. So, so how do you divide things? Again, we we talked a bit about this earlier. Who does the cooking? Who does the laundry? But e- even more so, when you're having a discussion about a big family decision, right? Are one of the you know is one of the parents the CEO and the other one just just has to go along with it? Like, what are the kids? witnessing in terms of those things, because they're making assumptions about what that means about moms and dads that will last forever and will get transmitted to multiple generations. So be willing to ask those things. And then the most important thing I would say is be willing to acknowledge your mistakes. You know, we had a moment in my family where Amanda and I realized that the kids thought that I was in charge and that she just followed the rules. So we sat them all down and we were like, why do you think this? Explain it to us. And we just sort of interrogated them. Like, is that because of things you've seen before? Is it because of things we do? Like, and we answered their questions about it. Look, I don't know if we convinced them one way or the other, but the, the fact that they witnessed this discussion and this willingness to ask these questions about how gender shows up in the family organization is teaching an enormous lesson about the fact that these things are not immutable, right? They can be changed. They can be revised. They can be be, be recreated in ways that better serve all of us.
1: I think it's definitely something that is enlightening and opens my eyes to things that I have going on in my own household. As I said at the very beginning, none of us are infallible. None of us are going to have all the answers When it comes to being a great dad, we have to learn that along the way. And hopefully by the time our kids get to be adults, we've learned enough to help them to to be self-reliant, to be strong, independent women, as I talked about at the beginning of the show. But at the same time, that we are able to not only do this for our own families, but we're able to do this in society and with other women that we know, that we meet, that we support in different ways and be able to lift them up just like we would lift each other up. Join Fathering Together this March for the Stand-Up Dad Summit, an online conversation series about what it means to be a dad supporting gender equity. We have collected experts and fathers to answer questions and offer ideas of how to inspire your household to value gender equity. Join us every Monday in March for a different panel with its own theme encompassing how to support women of all ages in your life. During these conversations, panelists will share ways to support gender equity as parents, partners, workers, and community members through personal action, advocacy, and building a better understanding of healthy masculinity and engaged fatherhood. More information can be found at our website, fatheringtogether.org. We always finish our show with what I like to call the Fatherhood Five, where I ask you five questions to delve even deeper into you as a dad.
0: All right. Okay. <laughs>
1: In one word, what is fatherhood? Hard. <laughs> it definitely can be hard. Yes, it can be hard and challenging at the same time. Now, when was the time that you finally felt that you succeeded? at being a father to a daughter.
0: I hinted at it at the beginning of this conversation, and I have a a video about it on YouTube, actually, which is when my stepdaughter had her first menstruation, we had a moon party, and I baked a cake with like a bloody swirl of raspberry all over the top, and we ordered blood orange soda, and we all sat around, and we were like, we are so excited that you have grown into a woman, and like, there's nothing weird about this there's nothing unpalatable about this there's you know there's so much in our culture that tells women that that menstruation is unmentionable and we can't talk about it and that just tells them something about them is gross right well imagine going through life feeling like there's something about you that happens every month that's disgusting and so we had a big party and i mean it wasn't a big party it was just the whole family but we celebrated it and i just saw that my stepdaughter was glowing the whole day and then she suddenly Proud to talk and ask questions about things that she hadn't been before, and so uh, you know, I, I just felt we hit that one right on the nose. The boys were not so happy about it, but <laughs> but I think we also taught them a lot.
1: Now, how would your kids describe you as a dad?
0: Well, they call me boomer all the time, and I'm like, I'm objectionably not a boomer. My parents are boomers, but they like to say, "Okay, boomer." And when I say I'm objectively not a boomer, they go, "Okay, boomer." So <laughs> I, I think they call me old. I think they call me irritating. I think at the end of the day, they see me as a dad who always puts them first and puts them at the center of, and their well-being at the center of every discussion and turns everything, I, you know, my, my goal is always to turn every moment of tension into a learning moment for everyone. I won't say I always succeed because, like, a, you know, I am human. I have temper tantrums. I <laughs> make mistakes.
1: <laughs> as we all do. Now, who inspires you to be a better dad?
0: One of the things about writing Father Figure that was really difficult, I think, is while Ordinarily, I'd, I I'd talk about my own father, who is an inspiration to me in so many ways. After spending a year and a half really thinking about the role of fatherhood, really thinking about it and making decisions about how to reinvent it, I would say that I tried to be a very different kind of father than my dad was. And that's not because I think anything wrong with the way he did it. So it's hard. I mean, I think so much of father figure came out of the fact that I I don't know that we really have the right role models out there in the world, right? I mean, I'm sure there are some individuals, but we really have a a very confused narrative around what it means to be a dad. And we really need to be different kind of role models for the next generation. So I guess that's sort of a non-answer and I'm kind of well. I should pick a politician since I since I walked around the question without answering it. <laughs> right? No, I don't know.
1: <laughs> no, I think your answer was perfectly fine. Now you gave a lot of advice today that people are going to be able to listen to and be able to kind of pick out of and find things that work for them. But if you're talking to a dad today, what's one piece of advice you want to leave with each and every one of them? Most
0: of the things that feel like a struggle, that feel like tension that feel like sort of interpersonal difficulty in our family lives, and I'm saying interpersonal difficulty because we all there's we all certainly have real financial difficulties and real other difficulties that are because of much longer structures. But your interpersonal difficulties, whether that's with your children, your daughters, your sons, your wives, your husband, you know, wh- whoever it is, most of them, you know, look at yourself first and ask yourself, how is this thing that feels so bad serving me? Because chances are you're maintaining it yourself, and you can make very small changes to your own thinking and your own behavior that will liberate everyone in your family.
1: Well, Jordan, I really appreciate you being here today for sharing your own journey in fatherhood, but also for telling us about the book. And if people want to find out more about you or about the book, where should they go?
0: Feministdadbook.com. I'll say it again. You have to say it like three times, I think. FeministDadBook.com. FeministDadBook.com. You should say it a few times, too.
1: Jordan, as I said, I really appreciate you being here today, and I wish you all the best.
0: Thanks so much. This has been so much fun.
1: If you've enjoyed today's episode of the Dads with Daughters podcast, we invite you to check out the Fatherhood Insider. The Fatherhood Insider is the essential resource for any dad that wants to be the best dad that he can be. We know that no child comes with an instruction manual and most dads are figuring it out as they go along. And the Fatherhood Insider is full of resources and information that will up your game on fatherhood. Through our extensive course library, interactive forum, step-by-step roadmaps, and more, you will engage and learn with experts, but more importantly, dads like you. So check it out at fatheringtogether.org.